All right, so this week we're going to continue a conversation um, in this series, which we've called Exiles, and dive deeper into Paul's letter um, to the Ephesians. And, and this week we're picking up in Ephesians 4, um, verses 17 through 5 2. So uh, if you have a Bible, um, please join me, and we're going to start in uh, verse 20, actually. And otherwise, it'll be on the screen um, behind me. And so this is actually the largest chunk of scripture that we're going to go through um, in this whole series. So, um, but it is, I think, important for us to, to just go ahead and read um, the whole thing. So uh, picking up in verse 20, it says, That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regards to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in the true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. And do not let any wholesome, unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their need, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I know I just prayed, but uh, would you pray with me again? Um, Father, we, we thank you for this, um, this text, um, these instructions from Paul, um, and this guidance, Father, that you give to the early church. And, and as we dive in and dissect this passage today, um, may you just be teaching us, may you be um, molding our hearts, Father, and, um, and carry this forward into our weeks and, and months, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So a few years ago, um, a friend from Discovery Read um, introduced me to this game uh, on the internet called GeoGuessr. And um, if you ever played it, um, GeoGuessr drops you at a random location in the, in the world using Google Street View. And you're, you, you're supposed to use your context clues to guess at what spot in the world um, you are at. And so maybe you look for things like what language are the street signs in or what um, side of the street are cars driving on, uh, what, what food um, are people being, are being sold on the side of the street or uh, something like that. But no matter how much of a world traveler you are, no matter how many places you have been to, it's inevitable that you'll end up in a place that's very unfamiliar and you'll have no ability to guess um, where you're at. And so this morning, I want to sort of play this collectively together. I've, I've created a, a small example of this. So I'm going to show you an image from um, Google Street View. And I'll give you a few seconds to pick up any details um, that you can. Um, maybe it's a little bit small, but um, to be honest, it's a, little, it's a little bit of a disadvantage for you because usually in the game you can like sort of pivot around and um, go further down the street. Um, but do the best, to the best of your ability, make a mental guess in your head, um, use the clues that are given to you, and remember that this can be anywhere in the world. So do you have, do you have a guess in your head? 
Um, are you ready to, to know where this is at? So, um, sort of deceivingly, this is actually the country of Chile, um, southern Chile. The, the Eurobus uh, really is sort of a, it throws you off, but um, if you looked further down the street, there was like a, it said lento, which I think is slow in Spanish, is that right? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, this is in southern Chile, and um, yeah, this would have been one that I would have not gotten right. See, what the, what's challenging about this game is that you are given some very specific details about a place in the world, but very little context. You're not told what the borders of the country look like, uh, what language do the people speak, what food do they eat, and you're sort of made left, you're left to make these own deductions by yourself, and you have to make uh, maybe an uninformed guess about the identity of this location. And the opposite is also true. If I just dropped this point in the map, um, the zoomed out version of the map, you aren't going to be able to know much about that specific point. Um, maybe you'll know that this is in the country of Chile, but you won't know if the place is urban or rural, what do the homes look like, what do um, the trees and, and scenery look like around it, and so on. So again, you'll know very little about the identity of this place. But when paired together, the big picture view and the details, we get the most full understanding of a specific location. Similarly, when we understand well both the broader context of a passage of scripture and the details, we get a more full understanding of the section of God's word. And so I use this analogy this morning because just reading these verses in Ephesians and sort of ignoring the broader context to me, it kind of feels like being dropped at a random point on a map. And um, if, if we just read these 14 verses in, in the second half of um, Ephesians 4, maybe it leads us to the wrong conclusions about where we're at or about the wrong conclusions about what our relationship with God is like. And so this passage by itself, um, Ephesians 4, um, reads to me like a pretty straightforward list of, of do's and don'ts. And actually, if you have the NIV um, version of the Bible, this section is actually um, subtitled Instructions for Christian Living. And if you're like me, you can read these passages in isolation and fall into this fallacy that, that me, Jeff Hadichek, am only living the Christian life if I'm peaceful, encouraging, honest, generous, and so on um, all the time. Like, that's what it looks like to live a Christian life, right? Now, what's, what's wrong with that way of thinking? Well, first of all, this passage isn't written to a single individual. It was written to an entire church body to be an encouragement and to promote unity within that body. And so at its core, this passage is about how to live in right relationship with one another. So again, this passage is not about you or me individually, but it's about building up a community. And second, that mindset loses sight that Christ has already given new life to these people. He's already created something new in them. And it's not their responsibility, it's not their job to create that new thing or to earn that new thing. So let's zoom out here for a second and just recall that chapter four begins a transition in this letter to the Ephesians. The first three, three chapters reminds this church who they are in Christ, this, this new identity in their lives following Jesus. And, and that phrase that we keep coming back to is that they are dearly loved children of God. And that the hope is that they may grasp how wide and long and high 
and deep is the love of Christ. So not only are we reminded of this identity as individuals, but they're reminded um, of this new humanity collectively, right? We're welcomed into a new family to bring all things together into unity. So if the first three chapters are a reminder of this new identity, the last three, four through six, um, are, are guidance on how to walk as new people. The first three chapters are like that big picture, zoomed out version. And, and as we dive further into the more practical examples, it's like we're zooming in, right? But we cannot forget um, that both zoomed out um, version that we are dearly loved children. And also the zoomed in practical examples of how to treat one another and how to walk in love. So both these views together, together give us the fullest understanding of who we are collectively and how to live in right relationship with one another. So as we zoom in today, I just want to say and remind again that Paul offers these encouragements to an entire church body in Ephesus, not just individuals. And these are insights about transformation into this new life that these people have entered. So in the book of Isaiah, when foretelling the coming of Christ to the nation of Israel, Isaiah 43:19 says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it brings forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Then fast forward a couple thousand years. Then in Revelation 21, 5, Jesus repeats this. and He says, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for the words are trustworthy and true. So from the beginning of creation to ancient Israel to the church in Ephesus, Christ is making all things new. And, and friends, we can have faith that he can do that same thing here for us in Davis today. Someone uh, recently asked me to write down five things that uniquely described me. Um, and I sat there for a few minutes and I, I was just, I was stuck. And for some reason, the only thing that I could come up with was that I've probably watched The Office um, more than 99% of the rest of the population. Um, <laughs> so more generally, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a TV show and, and movie nerd. Um, I've watched about 90% of the Marvel movies on opening weekend. I haven't seen Thor yet, though, so don't ruin that for me. Um, and I've seen most of them several times. I had to, had to bring my wife along, so I had to rewatch them again um, so she could know what was going on. I, every year around Christmas, I usually watch the entire Harry Potter series start to finish. And, and like I said, you name any quote from The Office, and I can probably tell you which episode, what's going on uh, when that line is said. Um, and my wife, Liz, and I, as we watch these uh, shows, or um, we, we, get, we figure out about the characters, we like to play the game where like, we, we guess which Enneagram the, the TV show, uh, characters are, right? Um, or, or if you don't want to guess the Enneagram, sometimes you can play like the BuzzFeed quizzes or like which Stranger Things character are you? Um, I got Steve Harrington, by the way, if that... Um, so for me, what really differentiates a good TV show um, or a movie is, is just really compelling and interesting characters. You can have the most bland and boring plot in the world, like a paper company in Scranton, Pennsylvania, but if you have really compelling characters, we can uh, watch something over and over again because it, it's drawn into the we're drawn into the character's life, and it's almost like you know them as a close friend. We experience their hardships, their struggles, and, and we experience that transformation with them, right? 
And so this morning, I want to talk about a few examples of, of these TV characters, but I just want to say at the heart of Paul's passage today, these these kinds of transformations are what Paul is talking about. It's, it's putting off that old self, that season one self, right? And putting on the new self that, that people transform into. So if you'll indulge me for a second, I have three examples of, of TV or movie personalities um, that sort of embody this transformation for us. So um, first, Bruce Banner uh, versus the Hulk. So Paul says in this, this chapter, do not let the sun go down on your anger, but be at peace. So if you've watched any of the Marvel movies, you know that um, the Hulk, uh, Bruce Banner, whenever his, his blood pressure raises, his heart um, starts to race faster, if he's in danger, he turns into the Hulk, right? And you know that there's this dichotomy that he wrestles with throughout um, every step of the way, every movie. See, Bruce Banner is intelligent. He has like seven PhDs. He's peaceful, and, and he hates the things that he does when he is the Hulk, right? Now, on the other hand, the Hulk um, is very strong, he loves to smash things, um, has really no uh, control over his rage at all whatsoever. And over the course of several movies, we see Bruce wrestle with this two sides of himself, and eventually he comes to terms with the best parts of both of himself, and he becomes Professor Hulk. He becomes both intelligent and very strong. And there's even this scene in Avengers uh, Endgame where, where Professor Hulk sees his old self in the past, uh, and he's ashamed. He, he, like, uh, he looks back and he's really ashamed of himself. So um, next up we have um, Good Janet and Bad Janet from the TV show The Good Place. So Janet is sort of this human-like but not a robot um, assistant in the afterlife. And, and, and Good Janet is the assistant for The Good Place, um, which is like the... the, uh, the version of the TV show's heaven. She's helpful, she's resourceful, she's encouraging, and she's literally incapable of lying. While bad Janet helps out the demons in the bad place, and she hates humans, she's insulting, and bas does basically nothing but lie. But throughout the show, we see good Janet and bad Janet sort of wrestle with each other, but these two dichotomies of themselves, and, and figures out who they are, who, who they should be, and what their purpose is. And so the last example then today is Jean Valjean from Les Mis. And so if you know this story um, or have seen the modern version of this uh, movie, you know that Hugh Jackman's character is, is imprisoned in France for being a thief. And when he's finally released from this sentence, um, there's this sort of montage where he reverts back to his old ways. He, he, and even if he wanted to work honestly and to earn a living, he has this mark on him because he was a thief, right? But then he has this interaction with a, pri a priest after he tries to steal from the monastery. And instead of turning him back over to the police to be imprisoned again, this priest has mercy on him. And then Jean Valjean repents of his ways. He has this sort of like uh, falls down to his knees and, and repents. Um, he, he gives himself a new name. He tears up the mark uh, of a thief and he totally transforms who he was. And then, like, nine years later, we, we see that he's become this generous businessman. Um, and, and he embodies what Paul's con, uh, contrast in verse 28 of a thief versus doing something useful with their hands and being generous uh, to those who are in need. And so I could go on. Um, I could name movie characters all day. But the point is that these characters have their own unique internal struggle, right? And that, maybe that's why we are so captivated by 
uh, movies that in just two hours or, or 30 minutes that we can sort of know about this person and what they're dealing with and um, relate to them in some way. And maybe we find this belief that we can transform compelling. We, we have a hope that um, we, could, we can transform in the same way that these characters do because they embody struggles that we can relate to or they cause us to be introspective um, and, and investigate our own hearts, our own motives. And, and this is Paul's point, that this identity change, this becoming a new humanity, it might create some internal tension with these people in Ephesus. This, this, this realization that their old selves and their new selves may come into conflict, or their old ways and their new ways may come into conflict. And, and what Paul is saying is that's to be expected, right? But you can let this transformation, this tension, transform you. Paul's guidance here is that as you are transforming, as you are going through the process of transforming, transform in the way of peace instead of anger. Transform in the way of encouragement instead of um, telling lies or slander. Transform in the way of generosity and put off deceit. Jesus, in the Gospel of Mark, uses the analogy of new wine versus old wineskins. He says, and, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. And so what Paul is saying here to the Ephesians is that you have been created as new wine. And it's not going to work if you try to, to be and behave in the same way as your old self, to be the old wineskins, right? Both must become new. Paul also says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. And, and again, he communicates the same truth in Ephesians. These people are a new creation in Ephesus. Paul is reminding them of this truth and declaring that they are already a new creation through Christ simply by following him. And these characteristics that Paul lists in Ephesians 4 are fruits of that transformation, not qualifications. I'll say that again. These, these characteristics, these virtues, are fruits of the transformation, not qualifications. So back to our movie and, and TV characters for a second. Um, I will say it's, it's oftentimes not as quite a black and white of struggles, right? It's very easy in movies to know what is evil versus what is good, unless there's a twist ending. Um, but we experience in our day-to-day -day lives maybe more difficult questions or more difficult, uh, do we go right or left? And questions like, do I take a new job or do I move to a new place? Or how do I um, handle this relationship that I'm, I'm struggling with? And these are the questions maybe which we would have, uh, like to have an instruction manual for Christian living, right? And, and these decisions, they're often momentous enough to be transformational, right? Like if you move to a new place, those people, um, the people that you surround, the, the what you're, whatever you're doing, that can transform you uh, one way or another. And, and so what do we do in, in these situations? So I want to wrap up today um, with a story from the book of Esther in the Old Testament. Now, Esther was a Jew, um, was just made the queen of the Persian Empire. And, and however, um, Esther kept the fact that she was a Jew from everyone else in the royal um, family, in, in the royal um, 
the royalty that surrounded the royal family. And, and this was at the guidance at her close confidant and, and guardian, Mordecai. So we're going to pick up in the fourth chapter of the book. Mordecai learns of a secret plot by the Persian Empire to kill all of the Jews. This obviously puts Esther and Mordecai in sort of a, a strange position, um, knowing that if anyone could do anything to stop this plot, it was probably Esther being in royalty. So let's pick up in verse 13 of chapter 4. It says, Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone um, of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows that, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. She said, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, and even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So we're, we're seeing this internal struggle with Esther in this story, right? It's in some ways, it's is a struggle between embracing her true identity as a Jew and standing up and saying something to protect her people, or it's the struggle to, to remain silent and remain safe, right? But she entrusts Mordecai to speak into this situation, and she trusts for her community to pray and fast on her behalf. And this builds on the idea that Antonio introduced last week um, and, and earlier in Ephesians 4, Paul says, We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined together and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as, is, as, each, does its own, uh, as each part does its own work. So this communal aspect is on display and, and Esther, and Esther trusts this struggle to others, and God speaks through Mordecai to give Esther clarity in order to redeem his people. That's the whole story of, of the book of Esther. And so um, we can have confidence today, friends, that God has continued and will continue to redeem his people. When we struggle to see that, or maybe we struggle with, with our identity of where God is leading us, we can wrestle with these things together in community. Henry Nowen, a priest and theologian, says it like this, community thus is obedience practiced together. The question is not simply where does God lead me as an individual person who tries to do his will, but more basic and more significant is the question, where does God lead us as a people? So as we, as we wrap up today, um, I have a couple of questions, and the, the first is, have you been transformed by uh, a relationship with Jesus? Think back to your old self. Um, are there things that you are not necessarily proud of or things that you maybe grappled with for years and have been able to see transformation in it over time? So I just want to hold those things for a second and just acknowledge that in Christ, none of those things carry any weight. That in Christ, if we trust in him, we are made new. Second question and a last question is, what is God making new in our lives recently? What directions have you felt the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart? And I want us to, I want us to consider 
these questions as individuals, but also as a community. And I just want to encourage you this morning to pay attention to those things that are, ten that are causing tension, and that God might be trying to do something in us and in you through that. And if we're stuck on these questions, maybe we've felt stagnant for a while, not knowing which direction to go, um, I just want to challenge us to invite somebody else to wrestle um, with that question with us. So each week we partake in the practice of communion together as a Discovery family. And, and for me personally, as we've gone through this series in Ephesians, um, it's just been a really sweet time to take communion with you all. And uh, just a reminder that, that we are a body, we are a community, and it's, as we take communion, we're not taking it alone, but we're taking it together, right? reminded in Paul's words that we are um, with strengths and roles to play in each other's lives, we live in right relationship with each other. So this morning as we take elements, which are at the four locations around the theater, um, though some of us have done this hundreds, maybe even thousands of times before, I just want to encourage you to partake the juice and, and this bread, knowing that this bread and juice are the embodiment and they represent a, a communal newness, a people made new. So when you're ready, come and partake together. <laughs> 